It's a long way home from here I won't be back in a year Cause all the fallen leaves, the birds, the breeze Capture me again And all the lies you tell someone else and welcome back to another episode of Into the Wilderness, brought to you by SeaWolf Canada. I'm your host, Dan Lonergan, and I am back in my virtual version of, of recording this show, freshly back from our amazing 2023 conference in Halifax, Nova Scotia. I've um, had a lot of great conversations, and those have been posted, and, and you can listen to those live now wherever you, you enjoy this show, Spotify, Google Podcasts, um, link on our website, seawolfcanada.ca. Overall, like an amazing time uh, to be back in person for the first time in five years. A lot of energy, a lot of first time SeaWorld conference attendees. So thank you if you're listening. If that was your first time, thanks for coming out to Halifax. And already looking forward to Calgary 2024. No registration is not open yet. Uh, stay tuned. Probably sometime uh, in early on in, in 2024, you'll start getting some announcements. But uh, Put your thinking caps on in terms of if you want to start brainstorming some proposals, because that will definitely happen towards the end of 2023 as we look ahead to next year. Um, at that conference, was uh, fortunate enough to host a little panel on the student work placement program, commonly known as SWIP. Um, and one thing that I, I'm always mindful of, and uh, particularly with that panel, is that we did have a number of first-time um, conference attendees or new people to the world of work integrated learning and we've been doing SWIP feature episodes on this show for since it since it started um, with the majority of the players and, and delivery partners of that funding for students. But I am also always reminded that, you know, people are new. It's good to kind of give a refresh of maybe what it is, but then take it a step farther and dive into the industries that these um, delivery partners represent, the employers they work with, the students they impact. Um, and that's what we're going to do today. So it's been a little while uh, since we've chatted with our friends in the agriculture space. Um, about a year and a half, I think, since we uh, since we last chatted and, and checked in on the farms and the plains and, and seeing how things were going. Uh, last time we talked ag tech and still a, a very popular piece of the agriculture industry, um, a lot of emerging technology coming out. And now um, the emergence of, of artificial intelligence into that space and how it's being utilized, what we can do with things like AI and data. And uh, that's what we're going to chat about today. So I'm very excited. Uh, first up, she is now the executive director of the Canadian Agriculture Human Resource Council, um, or CARC, and has worked with several industries, including agriculture, um, leading initiatives related to inclusion and diversity, attraction and retention, and obviously work integrated learning. Uh, Jennifer Wright returns to the show. Jennifer, welcome back. Thanks so much for having me. Glad to be back. And he's the founder and CEO of Karotu, an experienced financial tech leader whose career includes over 15 years at Accenture, leading business and tech strategy. Uh, he's also worked extensively in the software sector with startups and established leaders in product management, engineering, and client service. He's originally from New Zealand, has a lifelong passion for the outdoors, which was evident by the bike tour that he part, that he took uh, along with his wife that took over six months and 11,000 kilometers um, lives in Toronto now with his five-year-old son, so isn't doing quite as extensive of bike rides. But Sean Rudd is on the show. Sean, welcome into the wilderness. Thanks, Dan. Wonderful to be here with you and Jen. Thanks. 
So thanks uh, to both of you for joining and, and to kind of, you know, going back into the, the world of agriculture specifically that we're going to get into today, ag tech. Um, and then, you know, obviously, how does this tie back into students and this this show being about work integrated learning and the practitioners that help meet the needs of students wherever they're at in their post-secondary uh, journey? So, Jenna, I just want to, you know, check in with you. I know, like I said, it's been about a year and a half since we chatted about uh, Canadian agriculture, the SWIP program. Um, so like I mentioned, conference panel, well attended, a lot of questions, a lot of people brand new to SWIP. Uh, we don't need to get into the details of the program here, but in your world right now with, with CAHRC, um, what, what's the landscape like? How, how is your funding any, uh, kind of new, new things that are, that are on your radar as far as your industry and then specifically the student work placement program? Yeah, um, it's certainly a, a really exciting time for the agriculture industry right now um, in Canada. There's a lot of growth, there's a lot of change. Uh, as we will talk a bit more about the um, adoption of uh, digitalization, automation technology is uh, also having a big shift on the way that work is done and the type of skills required and the type of jobs uh, there are in the industry. So um, our organization has been leading the National Workforce Strategic Plan, bringing together um, you know, the whole value chain and the conversation around workforce development and how we can, as an industry can uh, really collaborate and work together to ensure that we have the workforce needed now and into the future. And uh, certainly a big part of those conversations are around connecting with um, students, post-secondary students, especially those that may not be um, really aware of those opportunities in agriculture. How do how can we connect in with them and uh, get them engaged with industry and get them experience? Um, certainly the um, SWIP program has been exceptional at helping us make those connections and getting work integrated learning opportunities for students. Um, and we're continuing to grow that. Um, industry has been extremely responsive to the program, really uh, providing some exciting uh, opportunities and experiences for students. As Sean will share some of his um, experiences for his students. And um, we're really looking forward to growing that. We're also looking at uh, opportunities to ensure we're, you know, trying to get students connected with industry in ways that may not just be in a work, uh, you know, in a co-op or job experience, but get them ahead of that um, to build, again, build the awareness of the opportunities that are there and give a really good understanding of where they can take their biology degree, where they can take their finance technology, whatever it might be that they're studying and apply it to a really great career in agriculture. Well, and I know that's a lot of the the conversations that I've had with different SWIFT delivery partners has been about that last thing that you very meant that you mentioned, right? Is how do you how do you get students who maybe the the program that they're in the the writing on the degree doesn't scream agriculture, right? It it's not a degree in in agriculture, or, you know, whatever uh, environmental sciences maybe if that's the the official wording on a degree, but that they kind of open their minds to this industry and the wide array of jobs that exist in it. And that's, I know, Sean, in, in some conversations that we've had, uh, really excited to have you on the show today to talk a little bit about how you've leveraged some of those students from different backgrounds into the work that your company does. Um, Jen, you mentioned like workforce planning and, and skill development. Anything, you know, and I know it's only been two years, so probably not a lot of time in terms of major trends or, or things changing as far as like high demand skills that you're seeing that are in need 
in your industry, but anything that jumps off the page in terms of students that are coming out of whether it's universities or colleges now, 2023, a couple years removed from, you know, from COVID and things like that, that are either really good or on the flip side, maybe a little area of concern? Um, as far as the skill demand goes, I would say, and, and just shift of type of opportunities, um, you know, not surprisingly, we're seeing more of a shift to needing um, digital literacy um, and technology skills. Um, and with uh, climate change and uh, sustainable practices across the industry, you know, understand bringing that environmental science, as you mentioned, that type of um, experience is becoming more and more in demand as well. Um, and, you know, really just a shift to that most jobs now have some level of requirement for understanding of digital technology, problem solving, um, you know, good communication skills, that type of thing. We're seeing that uh, really in in most of the roles um, from entry level up. Well, and that's, you know, it's something to consider, I guess, if you're if you're listening to this and, you know, whether your institution has a program, you know, that robustly fits into this space or not, or it's in the works. And how do you make sure that you keep those particular skill sets top of mind when designing things or if things are coming up for program review, you know, really looking at how much does digital and, and tech play a role in some of that programming um, or not? And and mm -hmm. does is the opportunity there to introduce it? What types of courses you know, do institutions run around AI, GIS, um, and, and integrating that into those programs so that those students are well equipped data, data analytics as well. I know we'll get into that a little bit, Sean, with the work that uh, that you've done with some students. Um, so AgriTalent uh, is still the, the SWIP program through CAHRC, growing opportunities. Um, funding for, for SWIP currently still runs until March of 2024. No news yet we know i always I, I cover that i cover that base for for anybody in the space so that we don't have to field the question but uh hopefully you know we get some confirmation that either this is going to be made a, a permanent funding source or at least you know multi multi years so we can build some consistency again and seven years has been a, a really good amount of time but it, it's something where it's become so almost second nature for a lot of employers of what it's been able to allow them to do and then also getting students paid opportunities. Um, anything else on your radar from from CAHRC in terms of initiatives or new programs that you're working on? Or Yeah, so a few things. Uh, through the National Workforce Strategic Plan, we're doing um, quite a number of research projects to kind of fill the gap of uh, where our working groups and industry felt we had missing information. And um, this summer we'll be launching a um, skills research report that really does look at that now, but also really into the future. What are those top skills we're gonna need? How is that changing from where we're at now? And then how do we get there? Um, we'll, be we'll be taking that research as a foundation and building a skills framework for mm -hmm. the industry as well over the next year. Um, and then we have a number of other initiatives around compensation, um, the barriers or um, to adopting technology, um, you know, different things like that, rural infrastructure um, research as well. So some exciting things coming that kind of takes a, be a deeper dive on the skill side for sure, but also a bit more of a holistic approach um, or, or wider lens on the workforce um, in agriculture, the needs of today and then tomorrow as well. 
Well, that's, um, sorry, yeah, that's... I was just going to say we're also looking at, um, you know, more opportunities to expand our experiential learning opportunities for students as well, as I mentioned earlier, really trying to make those connections with students to industry directly um, as often and in as many different ways as we can. Well, and that's, you know, you have to do the research to be able to identify some of those gaps or areas for new new change and innovation. And speaking to the, you know, increasing, whether it's opportunities for work integrated learning, experiential learning, that research can be an avenue for that, right? And, and how can more companies and, and even organizations such as yourself think of research opportunities with institutions and students, whether they're at an undergrad level doing kind of an independent research project or grad level or, you know, doctorate level research, but that still engages industry in that equation. And it's not just kind of confined to, you know, other research journals and theoretical frameworks without that industry voice. So how do we be a little bit mindful of where possible engaging industry in that research equation as well? Exciting, exciting things on the radar there. Uh, Sean, gonna gonna turn it over to you now. So joining us as an employer partner of CAHRC who has leveraged SWIP funding to engage students. Um, tell me a little bit more about your company, Karotu. Yeah, happy to, Dan. It's wonderful to be here, of course. Um, so we we formed the company, my wife and I, and co-founder, uh, three odd years ago, and we're a software company. Um, and we're really set up to provide remote sensing technology to monitor, measure, and prioritize nature-based solutions to climate change. And these are solutions that get implemented on, on large land holdings. So farmers are absolutely critical um, in, in southern, southern Canada, in particular in coastal Canada, uh, but also for uh, forestry uh, tract owners and municipalities that often own large blocks of land and, and conservation groups and others. So really anyone that's got a large land holding, we're trying to provide the tools and tools and technology to allow them to manage the land for um, multiple purposes of which one of which is um, achieving climate change and, and biodiversity alongside critical things like providing, providing the food and fiber that we, um, we, we obviously need as well. So that's what that's what we did, um, and yeah, and we're obviously working closely with um, CARC as uh, um, in bringing in work integrating learning students as sort of a core part of our our talent strategy. So talk to me a little bit more about you know the the work that that your organization does, your company does in terms of from a from a tech perspective. Okay, so your software you mentioned remote sensing. Um, now from from what I know about you know, just kind of doing a little bit of background research on, on the company and, and having a chat with you as far as artificial intelligence playing a role in that data analytics. Um, and then what that, what does that spit out on the other side for, if I'm, you know, the, the landowner, the farmer, why is this, like, why is this valuable to me? Yeah, so let me let me bring that to life with a little example. So uh, one project that we're doing at the moment with a large farming group, it's it's um, uh, Pan Canada wide, um, uh, multiple provinces, uh, and and hundreds of hundreds hundreds of individual farms. And we're in this case, we're actually focused on the um, less on the on the farming land, but on the forestry tracks that exist on those on those um, farms as well. And what we were challenged with is to assess the carbon in what is 
literally thousands of individual properties, relatively small because they're often um, hedgerows or they're, they're wetlands or they're areas of forest at the edge of a edge of a field. Perhaps they've, they've got some reason that they wouldn't be suitable for crop development. And and the question was, what is the value of that of that carbon store? Um, and is there a way to monetize that to provide an additional um, return for the for the farmer? So. Uh, from a technology perspective, we address that using remote sensing technology and um, a tool of choice is to use satellite-based technology where we can because satellites have this amazing ability to cover really large spatial areas at a pretty frequent uh, time basis cost-effectively. Those are all really vital things when we're talking about relatively small forest tracks. Um, you know, they're on farmers' fields rather than, than large um, freestanding forests. So we take that data from from satellites that are orbiting the Earth, and then we process it, um, as you can imagine, using a whole series of different AI tools to clean that data, interpret it, understand it, and get the relationship there that allows us ultimately to produce a pretty simple heat map for um, for users, which shows where the um, large stores of biomass are and they correlate pretty heavily to the to the grand grandmother trees of the forest. The largest, biggest trees disproportionately hold the most biomass. So if we can identify where those are, we can help to quantify which of those forests are probably the most valuable and where prioritization efforts might be in terms of getting funding for them or protection efforts. So that's that's kind of a core thing that we're doing, um, very much in the agricultural space and seeking alternative ways to um, to fund those areas and recognize the ecosystem services that these farmers are providing back to local communities in terms of clean water, in clean terms of clean air, uh, even recreational opportunities in some cases where people are allowing um, uh, recreational trails, snowmobile trails and the like to be built through them. I, I know I mentioned at the beginning kind of a little bit about your background as well. And so obviously you, you have strong tech background and, and multiple startups, but kind of more in, in, you know, business consulting, financial sector, Accenture, what, what prompted the shift into this space for you? And you mentioned your co-founder who I, I, I know is your wife as well. What, uh, like what prompted the, the shift into this space? Well, you know, we, um, uh, both my wife and I were raised in, in families. We did a lot of outdoor uh, activity. We lived in smaller cities. I was in a rural New Zealand, so I had you know, sort of a, I had a taste of farming, though I wasn't, we were not a farming family. Um, and we were raised with sort of a strong environmental ethic and, um, you know, studied some, studied some environmental science. But then I moved into tech and my wife moved into a corporate role for quite a few years. Um, and we did environmental work side of desk. Um, we focused on this side of desk. And then that bike tour that you mentioned earlier on was a bit of an eye opener. Uh, this was back in, oh, it would have been 2014 now. Um, yeah. And we, we spent six months on the ground, um, not just in the tourist areas. We went through the rural uh, economies. We we got to interact with a lot of locals, and I'd I'd toured many of these countries as a as a younger man, a younger single man, as a backpacker, and I was. Mm. It was a great trip, and there was many wonderful aspects of it, and the photos tell a, a beautiful story. But I was also shocked by how those um, economies. And those environments were changing. Uh, it was dramatically different in that just 10 years. And uh, I guess 
there were some positives and economic growth had occurred and mm -hmm. um, that brings many benefits but it was pretty dramatic in terms of what we were seeing um, in terms of some of the environmental degradation. So that really spurred us to think about this um, and think about how can we provide the food and fiber we need, but also preserve the environment. Now, my, my wife moved faster than I did. She um, she got onto this and, and dedicated her time to the environmental space. And then with the birth of our son, um, that just made uh, brought attention to us and said, we need to be making this our primary uh, activity. And yeah, three years ago, we both um, went full feet first. And um, this is what we do now, focusing on how do we um, how do we balance those different needs of for, for land use to provide the, the resources we need, but also um, protect the environment. Well, I, I like I like kind of, you know, you paint the picture of your journey of where you started, but there was always like this passion piece somewhere, you know, buried within you in terms of the environment and just kind of how you were raised and how you lived your life, maybe from a leisure perspective initially, and now you've turned it into you, you know, your day in, day out operations. And I think that's a good way of a lot of the ways where I look at the impact that work integrated learning can have on students. Um, and I've said this a number of times in multiple, multiple episodes that either reaffirms for a student's like 100%, this is, this is where I want to be, this is what I want to do. Uh, I, I want to be in it every single day or it it does the opposite and it it confirms that maybe this isn't what I want to do and, and I'm going to go in a different path and that that path doesn't need to be linear. Um, it can, you know, have multiple pit stops along the way, uh, much like your your bike trip, I imagine, did to go cover that much land in six months. Um, so let's chat a little bit about the students and, and how you've engaged with them at, at your company. Um, what have you been able to achieve just by engaging with student talents, obviously in this case, leveraging SWIP dollars to to help fund those positions? But what are, what are some of the things that uh, you've been able to achieve because of students? Yeah, so um, we've we've been a, a heavy user of SWIP-based programs and CARC in particular, um, bringing undergraduate students and master's students in to, to really do a, a range of different things. In terms of job specs as a software company, People tend to fit into software engineers, as you can imagine. They fit into GIS specialist roles, focusing on understanding the remote sense data and the geographic space, and then sort of more general research analysts engaging more with end users, in, engaging with farmers and the like. Um, so those are the areas. People come from really diverse backgrounds. I'm pleased to say we're, we're north of 70% uh, diverse candidates um, recruited, and that's that's actually going up over time. Um, you know, and a range of different different undergraduate backgrounds. Um, certainly, certainly not everybody has agriculture in their right. undergraduate by any any stretch. In fact, that would be the minority for us. But but in terms of things that we've been able to deliver, um, maybe a concrete project is, is is helpful. So I was talking a little bit about the measure in the carbon and agricultural spaces. But another one that we did, which is more research orientated, was we were addressing the question of why do many farmers and potentially even a majority of farmers not take up the various um, um, agri-environmental programs that are out there? Because there are a, a vast number of different programs to, pr um, to promote uh, best management practices or be beneficial management practices, depending on which province and which month. Um, so there's a vast range of programs, but, but many of them are not taken up. There's hmm. potentially 
um, maybe 50% or more are never adopted. Um, in Ontario, the Environmental Farm Plan has been in operation for 20 plus years, and yet um, perhaps only half the farms today have one. So, so we were we took this on as a as a consulting engagement, and we were looking at that pretty hard question, and um, that involved going and speaking to farmers. And this is where I, the the work integrated learning came in. We we brought in uh, ultimately several students um, from quite diverse backgrounds, including one who came from social sciences and studied psychology. Um, Interesting. And she came and, and, and joined our program uh, along with several others, but I'll focus the story on, on on her because I think it's interesting. She came in and really led a lot of that um, first person um, primary data collection. We went out to farmers in the middle of the growing season. Um, uh, not a recommended practice, I will say, <laughs> <laughs> but that was the nature of the program. And we went out to where the farmers were because they were busy. Right? Yeah. Um, it was the middle of the growing season, and we were trying to get, we were trying to get the anecdotes and the data that we couldn't get from reading other people's reports. So we we went to where they were. We went to the farms. We interviewed them on the tractors. We um, we went to farmers markets. We went to um, various farm events. We snowball effect where a friend introduced us to a friend, introduced us to a friend. And and these work integrated students, learning students, went out and led that effort and engaged wow. and, and gathered the data, which gave us a, a unique insight. And then we then we processed that and produced a report. And that's actually now um, being published and shared quite quite widely. So um, I think that's a really concrete example of of the kind of work that we were able to do um, in pretty demanding timelines and and frankly the wrong time of year to do it. Um, right. and, it, and it relied on that talent and, and, and the engagement because, you know, going out in the middle of the growing season to have somebody talk to you for 15 minutes that has crops to get in the ground or get out is pretty, pretty hard. Absolutely. And students were, um, were frankly amazing. Yeah. You know, I've been chase people down in the fields and get them off tractors and plows, whatever it might be. Um, and what so what ultimately what was the takeaway from that that finding why why aren't the majority of farmers using programs that exist well i'd encourage readers to um to go to crudy.com and look up our research tab and you'll, you'll see all of the findings but um i mean we discovered that there were four key barriers right it's not it, it wasn't one thing um and i would caveat here that pretty much to a man or woman uh on the land they wanted to protect the land that they mm -hmm. um, that they they felt they stewarded, but they also wanted to prosper economically, um, right. and it was a challenge. And we just discovered that uh, this is not going to be a surprise to, to those from an agricultural space, but producers are stretched. Right, farm incomes have dropped. Um, total total income in the agri agri um, space has gone up, but but farmers have gotten a, a smaller share. Yeah. Um, the, no two farms are alike. No two no two farmers or farmer farm farms are alike, and the programs aren't set up for them. Many of them are inaccessible. I you know I made this comment a couple of times about don't don't interview in the middle of a growing season, but also don't ask a farmer to um to apply for funding in the middle of the growing season. And, and programs are like that. Um, and you know and also preferred learning model. Right, a lot of farmers learn from other farmers. So right. So when you take all those points together. And you look at the way programs are structured, most programs 
are not really set up with the need of the farmer front and center. And there's good reasons for this. Um, of course, we have, you know, um, a democratically elected government with a with electoral term and, and we've got uh, funding seasons. There's a whole series of reasons why mm -hmm. the programs aren't set up for them. And not surprisingly, the adoption isn't perhaps what it could be. Right. Well, I'll, uh, I'll post the link to the, uh, your, your website, obviously, in the description below on this episode. So, folks, if you're interested in, in reading that full report, you can just click through and, and have a look. You know, you meant you talk about the stories of, of how you you leverage multiple students for that particular project. And I think it's an interesting example because it does paint the picture of, OK, let's let's go back. And if you weren't able to leverage the funding, you weren't able to hire six, seven, however many students you had. Does that work get done by you? It'll be done very differently, right? Right. Um, I mean, I think the 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 work integrated learning, the access to the talent, and and the frankly the funding models that allow this to happen uh, and happen pretty fast from recruit to to onboard. Um, without that model, a different way of, would have been done. I can imagine the work would have been conducted. There would have been a lot more online surveys. Yeah. Um, you know, there's other ways to deliver the work. My feeling is the quality and the nuance would not have come through without without that approach. And we wouldn't have developed the next generation of talent in quite the way that 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 we had today. I mean, many of these people that have joined did not have agriculture as oh. their target career, didn't have conservation in their target career, didn't have forestry in their target career. But um, a lot of the students after working with us are telling us that now they're seeing new opportunities, often for the first time, to apply the technical skills they wanted to develop, because that's what they, you know, the, the choice of major is often a technical major for us. They're seeing opportunities to use it in a different way, and um, I think that's a, I think that's actually a hard thing to teach in an academic setting, much as we might wish that it could be. I think it's, it's best seen in the field in in real real. Um, uh, work experiences, and I think that uh, is something that we've been able to provide um, with the help of of CAC and, and the, the funding programs that um, they administer. Well, I, I completely agree in terms of the value of, you know, especially in this case, getting students out into the field, which in this case, literally uh, speaking, you know, in, in some cases onto farms. And yeah, if that had been done virtually, is the, for the student, right, is the impact the same? Do you get the same type of reaction from the farmer? And yeah, in this case, maybe it wasn't the most ideal time to be asking them, but you're getting that feedback as well. On the flip side, would they have taken the time to jump on a virtual call either, right? Is that more easily ignored than the person who's at your door, you know, wanting to talk to you and, and have that face-to-face -face connection? So a lot of like little subtle things that if it had been done differently, to your point, would the outcome have been the same? Um, probably still would have gotten somewhere, but would you have gotten to the exact same landing spot and in the time that you did? Um, really, really interesting example. And thank you for sharing um, kind of, you know, how you went about that. A um, couple of, of episodes ago, while I was at the conference for Seawell, I was talking to one of our members who's doing research on what it means to be a, a co-op work term supervisor. Right. So often we talk about students on co-op work terms and everything that goes along into prepping the student for the work term, following up, doing reflection for the student. Not so much work 
at least in this country, has been done around the supervisor's role, the mindset of the supervisor, how they, you know, onboard students. And this, this obviously in her research that she's doing fluctuates vastly depending on the size of an organization. So if I look at Sean, for you, as an example, small, relatively new company, you know, I don't know how many employees you have. I know you, you have operations across the country, so you've got different offices. Um, but I, I still imagine that you, you play a fairly heavy role in when these students come into your organization. Um, what, what does that role look like for you or, or your wife or kind of people close to you that way? Yeah, so we're 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 a relatively young organization, three years in the in the making, and um and and small. Yeah, the total employee headcount is um it fluctuates a little bit, but it's fifteen to twenty, and and um small with students that that can that can expand, particularly over the sort of the peak peak seasons for them to come in. So, but we're a small organization. Um, so yeah, we're pretty hands on. Um, I have direct reporting relationships with with every student that comes on. Um, you know, we induct um directly into the organization. We're doing monthly performance check-ins and coaching on on how to develop um, and, and where people want to go with their, their work. And um, we, um, you know, we operate in an agile fashion, but in a hybrid space where most people are online. So daily stand-ups with, um, with the students talking about what did they do to yesterday? What are they working on today? What are the difficulties? What problems can we solve is, is sort of a a very core part of the way that we work and um and it's it's fluid um the students in in our environment get to take on we talk about them being you know big fish in in a small pond because they will be designing um core parts of what we do as to give you just an example um of one student recently um we've been looking at um uh detecting mowing events using ai and a um in, in grassland areas because of course we need um, forage for um, for livestock but many of those fields are also providing vital birding habitat for iconic birds like the, the bobolink <laughs> mowing machines um, and fledglings don't mix very well um, but there's programs out there that, that some farmers have voluntarily leaned into to delayed hay programs where they choose to to, to wait longer um, and, and take some economic risk in terms of waiting for for the to to mm. uh, to mow that mow the hay uh, to provide that birding habitat. So we've been working to monitor um, when the mowing is occurring. We do that from satellites. But back to the the students, um, there's some pretty sophisticated uh, algorithms that go into to monitoring yeah. these events. Um, and we've had students go directly into those, identify ways to improve them, recreate the algorithms, um, redesign them, um, not not just tinkering at the edges, but fundamentally thinking through um, what's a better way using this, the data that we have to be able to predict these, these key events, which are really important in terms of ecological services. So it's in a small organization, you know, we've got these direct links, if I've got talent coming in, they get an opportunity to play a pretty a pretty significant role in in, in maybe a way that they wouldn't wouldn't have quite the same opportunity in a, in a larger organization and not so early in the career because some of these students aren't even aren't even graduates yet. Right. And and Jen, you know, from your experience and being with 
CHRC in a, in a number of, of different roles and now as the executive director, seeing kind of, you know, students engage, you working with large employers, small employers um, like, like Sean's, similar kind of view in terms of, you know, sometimes the, the impact that one student or two could have on a small organization through work integrated learning, but then also the flip side of how embedded they get to be and, and some of the opportunities. Is that kind of, you know, what you've seen with with other employers that you've partnered with over the years? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, experience in any size of company is good, but um, sure. that experience in the small to medium size where you do get that opportunity to see how it all functions, the students are typically there for kind of a short period of time anyway, you know, a four month, eight month work term. Um, the more exposure they can get to the way the business operates and the different opportunities within that business and, the, and applying and learning, applying different skills, learning different skills, I think is uh, is really great. And we've seen that uh, play out in a number of cases. Um, I think Sean's examples are very good uh, examples of just what there is to offer and the different types of um, experiences and opportunities you might get as a student, uh, you know, in an agriculture-related work placement. Well, I always like to kind of end on on looking ahead uh, to the horizon a little bit. And Sean, I know we, we talked briefly, and but we already mentioned it on this show, just about you know potential of research. And you'd mentioned you've taken both undergrad, but also a few grad students. Um, what what are maybe some initiatives? I'm just thinking, you know, in terms of, of folks listening to this show who might be at institutions with different programs. Um, that might relate or have opportunities. What are some things on the horizon at Kurotu? Is there a desire to engage, you know, more, keep with what you're doing, but maybe engage a little bit more on on research, grad students, wh- what's on your radar? Yeah, Dan, so we're um, we're sort of just in the, the last uh, throws now of, of our full recruitment at sort of the undergraduate level. So that's uh, that's closing out shortly and, and that's gone great. Uh, and we will continue to do that. And I, as long as as long as the opportunity exists, I think we'll always be an undergraduate hire. I love the um, I love the enthusiasm and energy. Um, you know, back in the day, I would have said the young enthusiasm and energy. Some of them are some of them yeah. are coming back to, for their second undergraduate. And, True. And, and come with more experience than than um, you know that, that I was anticipating. But um, but the area that we're really excited about expanding as well as that is into the graduate space. And we've we've done that a little bit now. We work integrated learning experiences with graduate students. We did it last year for the first time. We intend to do that uh, really scale that up. Um, where you know one example, a student came in and spent a year with us researching how to improve the, the core algorithms, the accuracy of algorithms for, for carbon assessment in a forestry landscape. And, and he's now taking that work and preparing what we hope will be a peer-reviewed academically you know, mm. journal article talking about how to do this better. So that was a great experience for us, uh, partnering with um, a university in the, in the GTA area. Um, and we want to expand that out. I think there's a huge amount of opportunity to Yes, take the talent in to, to help us, but also to produce new and original research that, that can be published. And I think that that graduate opportunity um, in combination with the um, the undergraduate work that we will certainly continue is, is an exciting area. Well, I will uh, I'll put, as I always do, I'll put both your contact info um, in the description of the show. So if, uh, if anybody listening is interested in reaching out to Sean or learning more about what's going on at Kurotu, uh, just 
reach out, contact them that way. Uh, and, and same goes for any of the programs that run at CAHRC. Um, if you're not currently leveraging or connected in through them as far as the funding goes and you have students who could benefit from opportunities in the agriculture space, uh, please do not hesitate while the funding is still uh, there and hopefully continues to be there beyond March of 2024. I want to thank both of you for taking the time uh, today to to come on the show to talk about the industry, some of the changes that are going on, some of the things that are you know on both of your radars into the next couple of years as we continue going down this path and you know climate change continuing to be a topic that is often publicized, but at the end of the day, in terms of the contributions that go towards it, and Sean, I know this is kind of part and parcel of what prompted you into this space of minimal amounts, whether it's a, a funding or, or dollars that actually go to correct some of these problems that are well documented in, in being problems, but how do we actually go about solving them and for the work that you know, you're know you starting to do in this space and how to leverage AI um, in an innovative way and, and for good. Um, very, very excited to have you on the show and to talk through this. So again, Jennifer Wright from Canadian Agriculture Human Resource Council and Sean Rudd from Karotu. Thank you both for being on the show. And to everybody listening, thanks for tuning in, and we will see you next time. I won't be back in a year. Cause all the fallen leaves, the birds, the breeze, capture me again. And all the lies you tell someone else, sure could use a friend.